Um, thank you very much for joining us. This is our third and final Stronger Together virtual symposium that we've been offering in the months of May and June. Um, this third one is entitled Broadening Our View of Imitation. And I would like to thank Jan, Dimitri, and Brian for organizing this. And I would also like the, all the participants in this session, I'd just like to thank you for being here and the panelists for, for being willing to do this. Um, as I said, this is our third. We've had a great turnout with the prior events um, and we've had, I think, some great discussions. Um, and so I'm very excited that we're able to do this during a period where we can't all get together. So I would like to acknowledge Zhao as someone who has been hosting these and organizing these. So as part of the SR, STR division leadership, um, I'd like to acknowledge her efforts in all this and thank her for being willing to do this. All right, so I'm gonna hand it over to the organizers. I'm gonna mute myself. Everyone else has been muted and they're gonna tell you how they're gonna control the time. But thank you very much again for showing up. I'm looking forward to this session. So thank you very much, uh, Heather, for, for the introduction and uh, Heather, Zhao and Samina uh, for organizing this uh, series of virtual seminars. Um, it's a great, uh, great opportunity for us uh, to, to discuss our work with such a, uh, an excellent audience. Um, so let me just uh, welcome everybody uh, and thank also uh, all of our presenters uh, and uh, discussants. Uh, so Hart Posen from University of Wisconsin-Madison, uh, Taiyang Yu from Boston College and uh, Alex Wang from Ohio State and uh, Marvin Liebman uh, from UCLA and Nick Argyris from Washington University in St. Louis. Um, let me give you an overview of the agenda. Uh, after this introduction, we'll begin with uh, a brief uh, talk by Brian Wu uh, about uh, the relevance of imitation uh, in research and more broadly. Then we'll get onto the three uh, paper presentations, starting with uh, Hart Posen. Uh, then myself and Jan Ross will present. And after that, uh, we will have uh, Taiying and Alex's presentation. And each of these will be 10 minutes maximum, and there'll be a two minute warning uh, before the end of each of those. We'll then move on to the discussants. Uh, we'll have uh, Marvin Lieberman giving feedback on each uh, project in particular, so with five minutes uh, for each project, and we'll give Marvin, Marvin a one-minute warning uh, before uh, the end of each five-minute um, spot. And then we will have uh, Nick Argyris uh, giving uh, a broader view on the three projects and on the relevance of imitation more broadly and possible connections uh, with the strategy uh, literature overall. Uh, and he will receive a, a two minute warning before the end of that. And then after that, we should have another 20 minutes or so for, for Q&A. Uh, okay, uh, aiming to finish then at uh, half past uh, one uh, Eastern time, but some of us will then be able to stick, uh, stick around and continue the conversation. So um, before we get into Brian's presentation, uh, a couple of ground rules. Uh, please mute yourselves unless uh, you are speaking. Okay. Secondly, if you have comments on what you are seeing, please put them in the chat uh, and make it clear which presentation or paper those comments are addressed to, uh, because then we will be able to pick up on them uh, for the Q&A. Okay, I think that's it for the introduction and over to Brian. Brian? Hello? Yeah. You're there? Okay, good. You can see my uh, 
slide, right? We can okay, see great. Slides, Thank you. Yeah, feel free to stop me if there is any problem. So thanks, Joe, Heather, and Samina, who is not here, for organizing this wonderful event. And thank you all for coming. It's really nice to stay connected in this difficult time. This means a lot for the community. So I want to start by uh, talking a little bit about why uh, we are doing this symposium. Uh, so, you know, when we talk about imitation, uh, we often have two impressions. You, you know, first, it's not as sexy or uh, heroic as innovation, right? So second, it seems like a bad thing that, that could hurt social welfare. In other words, you know, innovation and imitation are almost like a two siblings. So I have two daughters. So it's like a, you know, a duality, uh, sisters or brothers. You know, innovation being the kind of a, you know, good one, you know, the one who like doing homework, the other one not as much so. Um, so for example, US also, United States considered the innovator and the, uh, you know, China, the imitator, right? The, the two brothers or sisters countries. Um, but in this symposium, we want to challenge uh, this, uh, uh, these impressions, I would say. The idea is that, um, you know, we want to show that imitation is not only a foundational concept in the field of strategy, but also very useful lens for us to see through uh, many difficult strategic decisions, right? So for example, I was reading uh, just this week's cover story of, uh, you know, economists, right? Uh, it's about, uh, genius of Amazon. I saw this subtitle, you know, imitation is a sincerest form of capitalism, right? So honestly, I, I, I just don't understand what it means, right? It, it intrigued me. So I'm pretty sure our speakers today will, will help us better understand this sentence, why, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of capitalism, right? Why it's on our cover story of uh, the economist, right? So, okay, now let me also uh, give you a quiz, right? So uh, the quiz is that which country was a great uh, copyright and a patent infringer when it was a developing country? So you can shout out or type in the chat box. Or just shout out, unmute yourself, that's okay. All right, love it. Yeah, so actually, uh, <laughs> if this were my class, uh, you know, you basically got a, a whole score on, on this, right? So the US, the stories are very funny, actually. So I actually first saw this in a, a paper by Hard Posen with Marty Gondini. Uh, you know, it's a Francis Lowell, you know, this uh, actually Harvard graduate, right? So just like a Marvin Lieberman, uh, you know, he basically went to uh, Great Britain and then stole this uh, borrowed, sorry, allow me to use a different word, borrowed this uh, technology, right? The loom technology. And then he brought back to, to Boston, right? And then, uh, of course, uh, in fairness, uh, he just didn't stop there being a pure borrower or imitator, right? So he uh, adapted the technology, he improved it, he uh, developed, uh, uh, you know, innovation in the end that, that's suitable for you know, New England area, right? So, I mean, that's uh, actually from history.com. So I'm a history buff. So, you know, during lockdown, I've been reading a lot about this kind of stuff, but still that intrigued me, right? Because, 
if you think about the history of many countries, you know, Korea, Japan, you know, China, you know, a lot of the countries, actually the catch-up process typically starts from some kind of a duplicative imitation and then goes on to creative imitation somewhere uh, in between, right? And in the end, the Ryan, one minute some, warning. Okay, some kind of a, uh, innovation, right? So that's uh, the uh, basic idea of this, uh, you know, process, right? Likewise, you know, China, right? So China contest, uh, 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 you know, global value chain or the trade war between the two countries, similar, right? So China tried to climb the value chain and then Trump's uh, strategy is just a breakout. But in fact, if you look at uh, all the game theoretical interactions between the two, right? There are many other possibilities, right? So I won't talk about details, but I only want to say that in fact, Trump has his own show, right, called Apprentice. In fact, if you think about the apprentice relationship with the master, right, so that's actually, uh, I would say, uh, quite inspiring to think about whether it's actually a way, you know, in terms of imitation, right, it's a way to commercialize your technology, right, when the uh, uh, market for technology is uh, uh, inefficient, right. So the conclusion for me here is that, um, you know, uh, I have my own thing. Yeah, it's just that it could be a virtual uh, cycle uh, between the two countries. And a lot of the time, our point here is that, uh, you know, innovation could be, uh, or imitation could be a, a really a brother or sister of uh, innovation. And then together, they can foster a virtual cycle, right? So that's my introduction. I look forward to our speaker's presentation to help us understand why imitation is a serious form of uh, capitalism. Right. Thank you very much uh, for that, Brian. Uh, good, uh, good provocative uh, start there. Now, uh, over to Hart. Okay, well, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me and thanks uh, to the organizers for putting this together. I I'm going to uh, to share my screen now, and if someone could just confirm that it is uh, working. Yes? Yeah, working fine. Yes. yes. Thank you. Okay, so um, uh, my discussion today is not really a, from a particular paper. It's really from a series of papers over the last uh, dozen years, and uh, I, I've come to calling it how I, I learned to stop worrying and love imitation. Because as Brian noted, imitation is in many ways uh, the poor stepchild that no one wants to talk about and, and no one wants to admit uh, to doing. So I, I thought I'd start with a confession. And my confession is uh, that I'm an imitator. Uh, I, before going back to grad school uh, and disappointing my family by, by, by choosing a life of poverty, I was a wealthy, young, very attractive uh, entrepreneur. Uh, and one of my ventures uh, was a chain of dollar stores um, that I started with uh, my brother and my father. Uh, in the early 90s, they had been diffusing widely across the US. And in fact, I sent my brother to Minneapolis to, uh, to, to, to investigate what was going on. And, and uh, he brought back the information and we, we, we literally imitated all of the observable practices, at least as a starting point. And so I've been thinking about, you know, that, by the way, this became very big. I had 
100 locations across Canada, well over a thousand employees, etc. Um, and, and, and ever since then, I've, I've been enamored with this idea of, of uh, imitation. Um, we don't spend that much time in our field thinking about imitation, in fact. This is uh, my hard work from yesterday, looking at SMJ over the last 22 years uh, and comparing imitation and innovation. Uh, uh, 18 papers with the imitation keyword versus uh, 226 in, in, uh, uh, on innovation over the same period. Uh, 62 papers with imitation in the abstract versus 432. Uh, uh, discussing innovation, and 818 papers with the term anywhere versus 1,818 with the term innovation anywhere. And, and the reason I think this is quite interesting is, is and, and this, you know, Brian has alluded to this, the um, imitate, innovation is sexy, imitation is not. Yet, and I have no data to support the following claim, my bet is that imitation as a practice dominates innovation in its frequency of practice. Um, I think it's very important strategically. So then the question is, why don't we spend much time studying imitation as a strategy? And, and I think the reason is based on what I call a, a few fallacies. Uh, uh, the first fallacy is that imitation is easy compared to innovation. That's hard. And in some ways, this is a, a fallacy that is formed sort of at the dawn of the strategy field and really uh, has its home in sort of IO economics, where, where firms are seen as, as, as the domains of homogeneous, uh, uh, industries are seen as the domain of homogeneous firms, and firms with inferior attributes, knowledge, et cetera, are seen either to leave the industry or easily imitate and stay in business. And, and this, I think, is at the core of why we, we don't pay much attention to imitation. Uh, and in fact, it's diffused to, 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 to work in the more modern strategy field in the RBV, where inimitability is a central focus of the theory. If imitation is relatively easy, firms need to put a lot of effort into deterring imitation. The second fallacy is that imitation is imitation. It's just so easy that there's no need to think about it as a rich set of choices and decisions. You don't need to give it much thought. The only decision is whether to imitate or not. The third fallacy is that only weak firms imitate. Leaders don't imitate. Uh, I have no uh, rich data to bring to bear on this other than a strong belief that this is not true, and, and I'll make my argument just with a couple of examples. Uh, uh, P&G is a big imitator. Uh, I, many of you probably have a Swiffer somewhere in your home. You know, it folds nicely into a closet, the top folds up, it works very well on hard surfaces. A pure, unadulterated imitation of a product of a Japanese firm. And in fact, its compact size is designed to fit in the small confines of a Japanese home. But not just P&G, Apple is a big imitator. So the first MP3 player was by this little owned Korean company in March of 1998. Uh, the first well-diffused player in that business was Diamond with the Rio model 
in uh, September of 98. Apple comes out in 2001. Just, just the surface attributes, the ring uh, in the uh, uh, iPod is remarkably similar in design and layout to the Diamond Rio. Imitation is everywhere. Leading firms, powerful firms, imitate all the time. You know, uh, the difference is they don't call it imitation, right? They often call it benchmarking. So there's this uh, great story, Xerox, which was one of the, uh, the uh, an early firm to formalize what we now would call benchmarking, in fact, published and distributed a pamphlet in 1987, Competitive Benchmarking, what it is and what it can do for you. That pamphlet is about how to imitate. So, so what I want to share to you, with you in the next uh, four minutes or so, or four and a half minutes, are a few ideas about imitation that have arisen out of a bundle of work I've done uh, 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 with a bunch of co-authors. Uh, um, a few ideas that come out of that work, but influenced by many others on the panel here today. So, so let me share with you four ideas. Idea number one is that imitation is hard and error prone, and that's a good thing, right? And the idea, it goes really back to Alchem, uh, who, who, who thought of errors in imitation as a source of inadvertent innovation, right? Attempts to imitate when imitate is hard lead to novelty. In a paper with Jay Ho Lee and Sang Yuni, we looked at how imperfect imitation uh, engenders uh, superior performance. And, and of course, when imitation is very imperfect, performance is undermined. When imitation is very perfect, performance is undermined. There is this optimal level of errors in imitation which, which enhance performance. Idea number two, there are many different imitation strategies. Imitation is not just imitation. Imitation is multidimensional. Think of the dimensions one has to consider if you want it to be an imitator. Whom should we imitate? What of, of, should we imitate? Given we know who we're going to imitate, what practices, what knowledge should we imitate? How much should we imitate? How should we imitate? So in a paper that just came out a few months ago, uh, again with Jay Ho Lee and, and, and Sang Yun Yi, uh, we look at this, how should we imitate? And we contrast what we think of as two different imitation strategies. Uh, uh, mix and match, which is our term for a benchmarking strategy where you take the good ideas, the ideas that you think are good from a variety of firms and bundle them all together versus a simple notion of copying the best. I see the best firm and I attempt to copy them alone. And, and we look at the performance of these two strategies and conditions under which one strategy or the other is, is, is superior. Um, idea number three, we have this simple notion that laggards learn from leaders. But I think it's important to recognize that leaders also learn from laggards. So, you know, way back in 2009 with Brian. And one minute, uh, one minute. With Brian and Anne Marie, we, 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 we thought about knowledge flows from leaders to laggards, but in fact, there is lots of learning that goes on from 
uh, from laggards uh, uh, to leaders, right? And, and the difference is an assumption about the nature of knowledge. Is knowledge vertical? A laggard only knows a subset of what the leader knows, or is knowledge horizontal, right? That the laggard sometimes knows things that the leader does not know. In that case, imitation is bi-directional. Finally, imitate, we tend to think of imitation as a driver of homogeneity in an industry, but in fact, there's good reason to believe it's a driver of performance heterogeneity. Uh, Brian picked up on my, uh, the, the, the example I give in, in, in my 2018 paper on Francis Cabot Lowell and did a nice job of explaining it. It is this idea that when you imitate, imitation is also always partial incomplete. And that imitation then is the basis upon which firms engage in subsequent learning and knowledge generation. Imitation can be a form of, uh, can be a driver of performance heterogeneity under some conditions. So that's all I wanted to say. Thank you very much uh, for everyone who's attended and thanks to the organizers for giving me an opportunity to speak. Thank you very much for the for the presentation. Uh, Hart, uh, 